The epistle reading for this morning is taken from the book of James, beginning in the first chapter at the 17th verse. James wrote these things. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? O loving God, you are full of tenderness and compassion. As we follow the guidance of your spirit into the ways of Jesus, may our faithfulness to you be reflected in mercy to all that we know. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to your word for us this day. Amen. A couple disclaimers before I begin. Well, one disclaimer, but one just word of general interest, I think. Many of you know I was raised as a Lutheran. Um, and Martin Luther thought that the epistle of James was an epistle of straw. So you won't hear James in the Lutheran church. Um, he was convinced that James was advocating for a works righteousness that Martin Luther just did not believe exists. So when I went to seminary and got some contact with the book of James, it was like a wide open world for me because I don't believe that's exactly what James is about myself. And every chance I get to talk about James now, I take it in large part because I wasn't exposed to it in my youth and I think it's a marvelous book. And second, I just want to make a general disclaimer that my first story isn't about anybody here. Seems after being away some time on a business trip, John thought it would be nice to bring his wife a small gift. Well, how about some perfume, he asked the cosmetics clerk, and she showed him a bottle that cost $60. Well, that's a bit much, he said. So she returned with a smaller bottle that cost $30. Well, that's still quite a bit, he complained. And growing annoyed, the clerk brought back a tiny $15 bottle. You know, he said, 
What I mean is, I'd like to see something really cheap. So the clerk handed him a mirror. Today, James encourages us, I think, to take a peek in the mirror and to look at who we really are. Not who we act like, not who, what others think we are, or not what we've been in the past, but who we really are. As we think about what James has to say here, that if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. If we look at that, we might just start to realize that we all look different. And we all tend to look at life in different ways. We often see ourselves differently because we're only seeing a reflection of who we think we are. But when do we look into a mirror? When we look into a mirror, folks, where is that reflection actually coming from? What kind of a mirror are we really looking into? Well, there was a school that was having a unique problem. You see, there were a number of 12-year-old girls that were beginning to wear lipstick. And they would arrive at school and then go and put it on in the bathroom. And that was okay. But after they put on their lipstick, they would press their lips to the mirror, leaving dozens of little lip marks all over the place. Well, every night the maintenance man would remove them, yet the very next day the girls would put them right back on the mirror. So finally, Mrs. Smith, the principal, decided that something really had to be done. So she called all the girls into the bathroom and met them there with the maintenance man. She explained that all of these lip prints were causing a major problem for the custodian who had to clean the mirrors every single night. So to demonstrate how difficult it was to clean the mirrors, she asked the maintenance man to show the girls how much effort was really required. So he took out a long-handled squeegee, and he dipped it into the toilet, and then he cleaned the mirror with it. And since then, they have had no problems with lip prints on the mirror. You know, we need to know what kind of mirror that we're looking into. Some people look at themselves and at their reflection as though they were always looking into a small mirror, and you know the kind that I'm talking about. They used to be on the lids of a lot of compact cases. And those mirrors were so doggone small, I think if I looked in one, I'd be lucky enough just to see my eyeball. Yet there have been times in my life, folks, when I really have preferred looking into a small mirror. And you know those times. You fix a little bit here, and then you cover up a little bit there, and if you can't fix it or cover it up, you just close up that little compact case and put it aside so you don't have to look at it anymore. But if I were honest about that little mirror and the reflection I thought I was fixing or covering up or moving aside, it is always seen by God and whether you believe it or not, by the other people that are all around us. Many times we believe that we are hiding something very well, but others see it so very clearly. And you know, I don't think it is that we need bigger or better mirrors necessarily. It's that we have, 
we've just become comfortable with that false image of who we are. And sometimes we can even convince ourselves that we are really just fine the way we are. Now we all have some things in our lives that we would just as soon hide. But it is often those very things that we hide from or refuse to change that become tripwires for us. They keep us from moving closer to the image of Christ in our lives, that image that we as Christians are constantly pursuing. We not only tend to see what we want to see, but we also hear just what we want to hear. You know, communication is so critical to us as human beings. So James also writes a little bit about that. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Did you hear that James mentions hearing before he writes about speaking? Do you suppose that means that listening is more important than speaking? Well, I don't know, really. But I do know that most of us talk way more often than we listen. But to truly care about another is to really listen to them. And all of us need someone who listens and hears us. You know, so often these days, listening and hearing do not happen between persons. Despite all the emphasis that we place on good communication these days, think about it with me for a minute. Our technology has provided means to listen into the depths of the ocean, into the depths of space. We can even listen to the sounds of a baby in the womb. We can listen to planets and to our own brain waves. But we just so seldom really listen to each other anymore. And all of us need someone who listens and truly hears us. You know, if we look at the earthly life of Jesus in the Gospels, I think we have to be touched by his marvelous ability to just listen. And while his disciples were often arguing and talking among themselves, Jesus was listening to the deeper needs of other people that they encountered on the way. You know, he traveled the same roads and byways and village streets, yet he heard and saw needs that no one else seemed to notice. His love for people seemed to motivate him to listen not only to words, but to nonverbal communication as well. He constantly met people at the point of their greatest need, whether it was the Samaritan woman at the well or Zacchaeus who was up a doggone tree. He listened. All of us need someone to listen to us and to hear us. All right, but what about the talking? Well, James writes that we are to be slow to talk. And you know, when we are slow to talk, we don't as quickly contribute to a culture that I think anymore is just literally drowning us in words. He goes on to write, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you can't control your tongue, your religion is worthless. If we're able to be slow to talk, there are some things that I think will benefit us and those who come in contact with us. The first is this. I think we will inevitably start to say what we really mean, and that is huge. When people in general listen so little, when they listen to us, it is important that we say what we mean. 
There's just too much at stake in all of our relationships to not say exactly what it is that we mean. And then if we're slow to talk, not only will we say what we mean, we will start to mean what we say. There's a story about a small, rural, traditional, almost perfect Roman Catholic community. It's not Brexville. They observed all of the laws. They ate only fish on Fridays. But one day, a Methodist moved to town. And everything went well until the townsfolk realized that he just loved to barbecue steaks on Fridays. And he was a nice enough man, but the Friday menu violated Catholic tradition, so what to do? Well, the townspeople decided that they would just convert him. That seemed to make the most sense. And in time, their plan worked. And although it was summer, the church was filled to the gills with people even standing in the back of the sanctuary. And at the moment when he joined the Catholic Church, the priest looked at the former Methodist and said, you were born a Methodist, you were raised a Methodist, but now you are a Catholic. And the church erupted in applause and everyone was happy. Until the next Friday evening, when the neighbors again smelled the aroma of barbecued steaks. Well, they couldn't believe their noses. So they got the priest, and together they walked up to the former Methodist's fence. And he was looking down at the steak on the grill, and he said for all to hear, You were born a steer, you were raised a steer, now you are a fish. You know, communication is so important, and to really communicate, we must say what we mean, and we must mean what we say. Only our actions prove that we mean what we say. Someone once said that it is easier to believe than to be, which means that it's easier to talk about Jesus than it is to really follow him. It's easier to talk about love than it is to share it. It's easier to make promises than it is to keep them, and we can talk all we want about loyalty and honesty and generosity and commitment to Christ, but when decisions must be made and action is called for, it's then that we prove if we really mean what we say. You know, in the synagogue, the Torah is read through in its entirety every single year. And on the day that marks the final reading for the year, the whole congregation rejoices. They celebrate the gift of the word of God, the Torah. And the usually reserved synagogue is just filled with music and dancing. The ark that houses the congregation's Torah scrolls is opened up. The scrolls are brought out. They're distributed throughout the congregation. And holding the scrolls high, the worshipers dance, weaving in and out, laughing, crying, rejoicing, embracing the gift that God has given to them, celebrating that they are living life doing the Torah. So maybe we're not ready yet to wave our Bible over our heads and dance together in circles. But folks, we do need to find a way to show thankfulness, to recognize the giftedness that just lives in our midst. We need to look into the perfect mirror to see the real person that we are. And the only perfect mirror is the Word of God. And the perfect reflection in the mirror, the perfect image, is Jesus.
So to close, I simply remind you of what James wrote in the beginning of this passage. I quote, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All good things, folks, come to us from the hand of God. We have done nothing to deserve or earn the gifts that God rains down on us, and all we can do, really, is receive them. God is the giver. You and I are receivers, and I sense that we really don't like this because all of us are really better givers than we are receivers. And this worship time, it's our time to say thank you and to pay attention and to take note of the graced presence of God in our lives. But just showing up here is not a true thank you. Because once you pay attention to what God has done and is doing for us, a little bit more of a response is called for. All of us who claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior are called to be doers and not just hearers of the word. It's where the rubber meets the road. And I want to just encourage you this morning, wherever you are on your faith journey, take the next step just to more fully align your walk with your talk. That all of us might truly be blessed in our doing, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Reflect back the word of God at work in your life. That the very kingdom of God would grow in our midst in our time together, it can truly happen. To God be the glory. Amen.